Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. So we will be reading that today. All right, let us begin. Behold my servant, whom I have uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So this past week, um, I didn't get to update the congregation on this, but last week, a few of us, um, a few people on staff and a couple of lay leaders, we actually got to serve at a missionary retreat. So it's a, a retreat that is hosted every year. And many of you guys might know this, but in this geographical area in the world, there's many countries where missions work is either restricted or illegal, straight up illegal. And so Korea, South Korea, has become a home base for many of these missionaries who are unable to have their own retreats in their hosting countries. They actually fly out to Korea and they're able to get a, a time of restoration, get sewed into worship together without having to minister to other people and just receive. It doesn't matter if you are, quote unquote, a professional you know, missionary or minister, but when it comes down to it, all of us need to have a place where we can receive. And so it was a really incredible honor, you know, to be invited to minister. Um, and in that place, we were, um, you know, leading worship and, um, you know, facilitating a time of even just receiving. You know how last week we had K1 Sunday, where it's like extended worship and prayer time. We had something very similar at this retreat with missionaries. And so it's a room full of people who have been sowing in tirelessly. Week, I mean, week after week, month after month, year after year. And there was this, there's, this is the one moment they have to receive. So we were just so uh, in, incredibly grateful to be invited. Um, and as we were ministering, you know how K1 Sundays are actually very spontaneous. We don't plan things out all that much. We just wait to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then we sing it out. We kind of take a risk. <laughs> 
and like, okay, I hope this is you, Holy Spirit, and we begin to sing over the congregation or whatever it is that God puts on our hearts. And, you know, during this retreat, during a two-hour, you know, worship session, somewhere towards the middle, I felt like what God was wanting to sing over this group of missionaries and ministers, it was something along the lines of, like, you've done enough. Like, you can rest easy. You don't have to live with that, you know, like, subconscious guilt of, like, man, I could have done more. Man, before, before the borders closed down because of COVID, man, I wish I would have reached out to that one more person or sewn in, you know, one more Bible. Or, man, like, had one more prayer meeting. You know, especially missionaries who are pouring out in this kind of work year after year, it's really hard to quiet down that kind of, you know, like, oh, man, I'm doing so much, but man, I wish I could do more. Man, man, if only one more soul could get saved. Man, if when I'm out in the mission field, man, I wish my children were better taken care of. Man, I wish my finances were doing better. And all these different ways in which they can walk away from a, from a ministry field feeling like, oh, man, I, it was just insufficient. I fell short of what I needed to do. And so I felt like during this time, one of the things that God was doing is, hey, that's not my voice you're hearing. Hey, I am proud of what you've done. Hey, there's no need to walk around with that kind of weight. Leave it to me. Like, hey, like you, you're praying about what next steps to take and how to take care of your family and how to work through finances now that you know, many of these countries are closed temporarily. Like, you've done more than enough. You can rest easy. And I felt so strongly that that was God's heart for these missionaries. It was like, I could, while I was leading worship from stage, I could feel like God's desire to like, man, if only I could gather you under my wings. Like, if you knew how much I loved you, if you knew how proud I was of you, you wouldn't walk around with shame. You wouldn't walk around with this like, oh man, I just wish I could have done more. And often, often, doesn't take a missionary to think that way often we walk around with that kind of mentality too i know for myself i have a bit more you know everybody's built differently and raised differently and for my particular build and my temperament and my upbringing i am very like oh man i can throw all the time and all the money and all the effort i can to this thing but man i still fall short i wish i could do more man i wish i could fix this man i wish i had enough time to get involved in this man i wish i could like help this person reach out to them and there's always this feeling of like man i'm falling short man i wish i wish i could do more it's so insufficient what i have to offer god and so it doesn't take a missionary to think that way often we all walk around with that kind of sense of Oh, man, there's a standard here, and I'm just like, like right short, like right here. Man, I wish I could give more at work. Man, I wish I could give more to my family. Man, I wish I could take care of this a little bit better. And we're always feeling like, oh, we're falling just a little bit short. This is the air that we breathe in this kind of society where you're expected to want more, to climb up the corporate ladder, to climb up the educational ladder and be like, like one more degree and one more whatever and more things on my resume. And that's kind of the air that we breathe. But how... Uh, how often do we think about this is actually some of the air that we breathe even within a Christian context? Man, I wish I could be a better Christian. Man, I wish I could make God proud. Man, I wish I could do a little bit more to serve the church. And there's a sense of like, oh, I need to climb up. It's a ladder nonetheless. It's a Christian ladder, but it's still a ladder. And so this is often the kind of, 
you know, heart that we carry around very subconsciously. And if you're like me, you think that it's benefiting you. You feel like, oh, it's because I have this itch that I'm self-driven, that I'll do more, that I'll get more involved, that I'll execute and perform more. And you feel like it works in your benefit, but it's not biblical. It might be helpful, maybe for a little short period of time, but it's not biblical. You know, there are seasons when we get very blasé and very casual about our faith, and we need a fresh revelation of the holiness of God where we once again recover that fear and trembling before Him. There's other seasons where we struggle with hopelessness, and we need a fresh revelation of God's might and power. Will He not do it? He is able. There are no limitations to God. And we need that fresh revelation of how it is that His name makes every demon tremble, makes every sickness vanish. His name is the name that is above every other name. And then there are other seasons where we find ourselves internally struggling... And we need a fresh revelation, not just of God's holiness, not just of his power. We need a fresh revelation of his gentleness and his compassion towards us. His gentleness and his compassion towards us. Because there's seasons where we need to realize that the self-condemnation, the self-hatred, the self-blame, the self-punishment, it isn't the Holy Spirit. It isn't the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of the enemy masquerading as like, oh, I'm just being driven. Oh, I'm just, you know, like, I just want to give more of myself. Oh, I'm just very sacrificial. Sometimes it's actually the voice of the enemy masquerading as these other things. Those are seasons where we need to realize that the weight that we are carrying isn't always a God-given weight. It isn't always a God-given burden. There's seasons where we feel like we're falling short and not doing enough and not being enough. And it's, it's not a revelation from the Holy Spirit. It's a revelation that is given from the enemy. Now, this is the disclaimer. It's not always the case. And that's not always a season. And maybe this doesn't apply to you in your current season. But I believe there might be people in this room and even people who are joining us online today who need to hear this today. That God, as he looks to you, he looks even at your failure. He sees your insufficiencies. He sees those things that you promised you would do or you said that you would do and you're falling short. He looks upon that and he's not looking at you like with arms crossed like, man, I wish you'd get it together, Susie. Like, man, it's about time. Like, why can't you just, you know? He's not doing that. He's looking upon us with eyes of gentleness and compassion. It's such a disarming way that he deals with us in our brokenness. And so, whether this applies to you in your current season or not, if this doesn't apply to you in this current season, archive it, because you're going to need it in the next season. But if this applies to you today, this is my invitation for you. Reconsider what the Bible says about God's character, specifically as he interacts with the broken. Specifically in how he interacts with the broken. And so my message for today is titled, The Gentleness of God. The Gentleness of God. 
Now, for you guys who have read through the book of Isaiah, you know that it's like a roller coaster ride. You go very down and then very up and very down. It is a roller coaster ride. It's not a like hippy dippy, like, oh, I kind of feel like I need to connect with God today. I'm just going to go into the book of Isaiah. It's not that kind of book. It's very intense. And it's a book that details what the people of Israel are about to step into. They're about to step into years and decades of captivity. God is raising up the Babylonian army to decimate Israel. And they're going to go through a really, really difficult season where they're going to be very tempted to think, oh, I thought I was the chosen people of God. Where is he? Oh, I thought there were all these great promises for me. What happened to that? Oh, I thought, you know, he's for me, not against me. What the heck's going on in my life? And they're going to be very tempted for this very long extended period of time to think that God has forgotten about them. So the book of Isaiah, it details what's going to be happening, what they're about to step in. They're on the cusp. They're about to enter into this really difficult season. And the book of Isaiah, mercifully, it gives them a heads up. You know, how awesome is God? He's like, hey, it's going to be really hard. And I'm not exaggerating things. It's going to be very hard. And I'm not going to kind of like, you know, paint it in a rosy way. It's going to be very difficult. But here's the grace of the book of Isaiah. Although it takes us into very deep, dark depths, it also raises us up into some of the most beautiful promises of God that are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Things that we couldn't even imagine in the midst of captivity. The book of Isaiah shows us so beautifully the kind of savior that God is raising up for the nation of Israel. Not just what kind of oppressors, not just what kind of suffering you're going to go through. In the contrast, at the backdrop of that, we see how God is going to be raising up a savior that is beyond anything they've ever experienced, beyond any warrior, beyond any army general, beyond any king or judge. God's going to be raising up a savior for the people of Israel. It's so awesome to know that God speaks his promises to hold them fast as they're about to enter into this really difficult season. Many times in my life, I think I've experienced maybe, you know, a smidge of this where like God gives me a promise and then like go through a really difficult season and I realize, oh, that's why he gave me that promise. I'm going to need to remember that. I'm going to need to hold fast to that. That's the reason why he released it when he did. It wasn't just like, hey, this is really fun. Here you go. It was like, hey, Susie, this is a word you're going to have to cling to for dear life. This is going to make the difference between whether you make it out of the season in a hopeless way or in a hopeful way. It's going to make a difference whether you come out of this stronger or weaker. It's going to make a huge difference. And that's why he gives his word to us in such a timely way. So there's three different promises that I want us to focus on from this passage in Isaiah 42. For a people who are about to step into one of the most difficult seasons for the nation. God says, when you feel broken and weary, I will hold you. When you feel broken and weary, I will hold you. Verses 1 through 4, it says, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. How will he bring justice? He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What in the world is a bruised reed? So bruised is, you know, it's 
When we think about it, when, when our bodies get bruised, it's just kind of a surface level injury where it's just your skin. It's not, nothing like no internal bleeding, like no like broken bones. It's just a surface wound. But the Hebrew behind it is actually a little more comprehensive. It's more accurately depicted as not just bruised, but crushed on the inside. So we're talking about a reed. You guys know, like, um, you know, here in Korea, we see this quite a lot right around like fall time and winter time. You see all these things that look like wheat that come up like all along like the, the roads and stuff. If you were to take that and break one off and you realize how fragile and brittle that is, that's what a broken reed is. That's what a bruised reed is. It doesn't take a whole lot. You can just hold it between your fingertips and it just snaps off. You're barely exerting any strength. And so that's what a bruised reed is, a smoldering wick. You know when you blow out a candle and it's like the fire is already extinguished and it's like blackened and it starts, you know, like releasing that smoke. It's kind of like already out, but not fully out. That's what a smoldering wick is. So what does it mean to be a bruised or crushed reed? It means to feel fragile, like you are just hanging by a thread. We have a picture of it, I believe. Uh, that's the, yeah, yeah, something like that. It's like a little gust of wind and it's gone, right? It's like broken, it's, it's like done. You don't even need to like break it off. It's like a little gust of wind and it'll just break off. Smoldering wake as well, just a little breath and it's out. It's done, it's gone. And so what does it mean to be a bruised or crushed reed? What does it mean to be a smoldering wick? It's when you're feeling so crushed, so broken, so conflicted, that you feel like you're barely holding on. Man, you're struggling big time. If this is you, this is how you feel, maybe in certain areas of your life, or maybe this is how you feel today. Maybe it's the pressures that are internal, maybe it's pressures that are external. But if you feel like you are a crushed reed, like you're barely hanging on, like, man, just one more crisis and, like, I'm going to lose it. You know, just one more gust of wind and I'm going to break off. Is that kind of feeling. Same thing with a smoldering wick. Like you, it's like we're not even talking about fire anymore. You're barely smoking, you know? Barely smoking, barely there. All it takes is a little gust of wind and you're done. That's, you're like at the end of your rope. That's what it looks like to be a bruised crushed wick or a smoldering, uh, a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. You don't know how much longer you can hang on. You don't know, like, man... If this corona thing keeps going, man, if my situation, my workplace keeps going, man, if this health issue that I'm dealing with keeps going, man, if, if the things that are happening, you know, in, in this situation where there's no way out, if this keeps going on, like dot, 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 it's like that feeling when you're at the end of your rope, you're feeling crushed, broken, conflicted. And this is my encouragement to you today. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Sometimes when we go through really difficult times in our lives, we feel like, okay, this situation is like bringing so much pressure into my life. This person is bringing so much pressure into my life. And then you turn to God and you're like, not now, God. I can't deal with you right now. You know, like I've got enough on my plate right now. Let's not talk yet, God. I got to get this down first and then we'll talk. That's often how we deal with some crises. We say like, okay, this is bringing me pressure. This is bringing me anxiety. God, not you too, you know? Like you stay put, like I'll get to you, but I don't need your pressure. I don't need your anxiety. I don't need your condemnation. You just stay there and I'll deal with you when we get there kind of thing. We deal with God as if he was one more source of pressure. 
As if he was one more person that's going to, man, it's going to really make my life difficult. And man, just one more person to respond to and one more person to try to please. When we think that way, the last place we will go to is God when we need him the most. You know, I remember going through a really difficult time in my life. And this was probably one of the most difficult moments in my life a few years back. And it was during a time when I was at odds with my family. And so my family, you know, we're super close. And thankfully, now after reconciliation, we're still close now. But during that time, um, like everything was happening that was out of control in my life. And then, you know, my, my parents, uh, you know, my parents, one of my parents, I'm not going to say who, because they're probably watching. Uh, so one of my parents, like, <laughs> they, um, they volunteer, like, hey, I want to be there for you. Hey, I'm going to fly out, and I'm going to see you where you are. You have no choice in the matter. And they kind of, like, give me an ultimatum that way. And I was like, not now. Like, I don't have the energy to deal with you. I'm barely making it as it is, I just don't have the energy to deal with you. Like you think you're going to be helping me now, but it's actually going to bring in so much more anxiety and angst. And like, I just can't deal with you right now. That's because our relationship was broken in that same way. How often do we deal with God in that way? It's like, look, I got enough going on in my life. The last thing I need is for you to come, you to intervene, you to speak. It's not going to make my life easier. It's going to make it much harder. And we deal with God in that way. We see him as, Hey, you're part of the problem you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem and isn't it such a comfort to know that in moments when we feel most broken he's not going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back he's not going to be the one okay and then just one more push and she's out you're going to be like hey can i can i help you can i draw close to you you don't have what it takes can can you come to me in your moment of need can i be the person you run to when you're in need This is the kind of God that we see who comes to us, not in condemnation, not in greater demands when you're feeling already broken. It's a God who comes to us in our place of brokenness. And in that place, he deals with us with such gentleness, such compassion. Like when I picture God, it's like I see him with tears in his eyes, reaching out his hand and saying, can you just let me help you? Can you, can you let me solve this for you? Can you invite me into this? You don't need to do this alone, Susie. You don't need to try to fix this on your own, Susie. Can, can you just come to me? I'll be gentle with you. I'll be compassionate towards you. I'm not going to add to the stress. Can, I, can you let me in? That's the way that I picture God dealing with me when I'm feeling most broken. It's not this God who's like, there we go again, another crisis. Come on, Susie, get it together. How many times is this? How long is it? It's not a God who's impatiently waiting for me to get my act together. It's a God who says, I see your brokenness. Can you let me in? Let me in. This is your way out, Susie. Maybe your only way out. Let me in. It's a God who deals with us with such gentleness, patience and compassion who doesn't add to the stress doesn't add to the pressures he's a god he's the person that we can turn to finally the 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 safest person to turn to when we're feeling the weakest when we're feeling like every other place in the world every other person in the world every other situation in the world is bringing pressure but this is my refuge this is the place where i can breathe once again this is a place where i don't have to have all the answers That's the way that God wants us to approach him. 
And yet so many times we're like, stay away. Let me, let me fix this. Not yet, God. And it's the exact opposite of what we ought to do. Here's what the gospel says. You cannot please God without faith and you cannot, you will not measure up in life. You will not. You have set standards. You will not be able to meet them. That's, that's a given. If, imagine you're thinking, okay, today I'm going to be the most patient and loving person ever. You know, the, a patient Susie, a loving Susie, it's going to last me for about 10 minutes. And then I'm going to say something or think something. And that's, that's all it takes. I don't even last for 10 minutes. Like, how am I supposed to live life feeling like, man, okay, the standard is here, but man, I'm just never going to measure up. The gospel says you don't have to. You don't have, this is a liberating part about the gospel. You don't have to. God will do it for you. And plus, you will never even get close to that unless you invite God into your heart, into your situation, into your prayers. Unless you do that, you're not even going to come close to that. You're going to spend your entire life thinking, man, I'm just... Failure after failure, year after year. It's not a new year, new me. No, it's like new year, same old Susie who struggles with the same things. And here we go again. Man, that's a miserable way to live. A miserable way to live. So this is the God that reaches out to us. And in our moment of greatest pain and brokenness, he says, let me hold you. Let me hold you. Let me carry you through this. Like, I, I know what you need right now. I'm not going to add to all those things. I know exactly what you need right now. You know, this is going to get a little messy, but um, we'll see. Um, so yeah, when, when I was growing up at school, when I think it was like in elementary school, we had this exercise where they, the teacher would give us an egg. And you were supposed to take care of the egg, I think, for a week. You had to take it home and be able to bring it back in one piece. And this is when you're still kind of like getting a hang of like, Oh, how hard can you squeeze this without it breaking? Like, you can toss it, but you got to make sure that you cushion it on the fall. Like, you know, you kind of begin to realize, you know, how much you can do to this without breaking it. And, you know, it's very interesting that even just holding this egg, it takes so much control. So much control. If I press a little too hard, it's going to crack. I know the difference between holding it in my fingertips, pressing it with my palm, and then... oh. <laughs> Isn't it terrible that I can't crack an egg with my fall? What in the world? <laughs> anyway, the point is, okay. <laughs> wow. Failed uh, illustration number one for the year. Should I... Harder? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So that is... That was little Susie. You know, that was little Susie. And God knows exactly how much force he can exert on me. How? Okay, I got one more. Maybe this one will work better. <laughs> he knows when I'm going through moments of weakness. When he has to hold me in his fingertips. When like just one, one breath and you know, one, one hair of more pressure is just going to send me over the edge. He knows when to hold me a bit more firmly. He's like, come on, Susie, you're stronger than this. Come on, Susie, we can do this together. And how easy would it be? You know, I am not very muscular at all, as you could tell. <laughs> but how easy would it be for a God who breathes stars into existence, who speaks a word and he can level mountains. He can speak a word and shake entire nations. How easy would it be for that kind of God to just do this? Uh, uh, yeah. 
difficult, man. Ah, ah, I can do it. Ah, do it, Susie. <laughs> okay, I think one egg is enough. Anyway, my whole point is, my whole well, we'll clean it up later. It's okay. Thank you, though. How easy would it be for a God who is all powerful? Almighty to take little Susie into his hands, and how easy would it be for him to, like in the way that I couldn't, right? How easy would it be? What is man? What is man that God would be so mindful of him? You know what I mean? But this is the God who knows exactly how much pressure you can take when you need a word of encouragement, when you need a word of challenge. A God who knows you so intimately that he knows how to handle you in your most fragile moments. In your most broken moments. In those low of low moments in your life. That's how perfect our God is. And he knows how to handle you, especially in those fragile moments. When you are like a bruised reed, about to break off. A a smoldering wick, about to just fade out. He knows how to deal with you with such tenderness and compassion in those moments. This is the God that knows us and the God who knows how to deal with us. And so when we are going through seasons of this self-condemnation of like, man, when are you going to change? Man, how many times has this been? Man, why can't you get rid of this sin? Man, why can't you be a better person? Man, why can't you speak differently to them? Man, why can't you get your act together? When we hear all those things, we need to know that that's not God. This is not leading us to life. God deals with us in our moments of greatest weakness and gentleness with kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God. Not the forcefulness of God. Man, I'm going to make Susie repent. Man, I'm going to break her. No, God deals with me gently in my moments of weakness, my moments of of brokenness. This is the God who calls out to us, let me hold you. Let me hold you. I just want to be a part of what you're going through right now. Let me help. Let me embrace you. You don't have to do this alone. It's that kind of God that we worship. That's the, one of the promises that we see in Isaiah 42. Now the second is when you waver in your commitment. So even if you have the best intentions, when you waver in your commitment, this is God's promise. I will keep you. I will keep you. When you don't have the strength to hold on, I will hold on to you. Verses six through seven, it says, I will make, uh, no, verses six, it says, I, the Lord have called you in righteousness. I, the Lord have called you, Israel, have called you, Susie, have called you, Stephen, so many. I've, I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. Isn't that such a reassurance when we feel like, oh man, all these things in life just make me shake. All these things in life just make me toss and turn like, like, you know, like I'm being tossed to and fro by, by winds and waves. When we feel that unstable, it is so important for us to be reminded the promise of God is, Susie, I have called you. I will hold your hand. I will keep you through this season. I will keep you. If it hung on me, man, I would be done a long time ago. I forget this. I can't even break an egg, like, let alone like hold on to your hand through these trials and tribulations. Like, I can't. I don't have what it takes. And this is when I must be reminded that God is the one who's holding me. God is the one, the one who's keeping me through this. Think about how easily you let go of your New Year's resolutions two months in. <laughs> you can't even hold on to them, right? 
Oh, some, some averted eyes right now, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when I think about how easily, uh, how fickle I am, how quick I am to, oh, well, that was last week. Oh, well, you know, like I need that one last. How, how quickly I move on with things. I'm so glad that God's faithfulness doesn't depend on my ability to hold fast to him. And imagine what it must sound like to a people who are about to go through decades of enslavery. They're about to go through generations of slavery. And they're going to be tempted to think, well, you know, I held on for as long as I could. But man, that was that. I guess God has forgotten. I guess he'll just let us go. I guess this is what we have to work with. No, God was holding fast to them all throughout that time. He never let them go as his chosen people. So moments where we feel most shaken, those are the moments where we need to be most reminded. Man, it's not, it's never been about me earning it anyway. It's never been about, man, God, I'm going to prove to you that I'm worth calling and I'm worth keeping and I'm worth holding fast to. No, it's never been about that anyway. Out of his goodness, mercy, compassion, I don't know. He chose to call me. He chose to hold me by the hand and he chose to keep me. There's nothing that I did to add to that. There's nothing that I did to earn earn that to begin with. So there's nothing that I could do to lose that either. It all depended on God to begin with. So when you feel like you're wavering in your commitment, this is God's promise to you. I will keep you. I will keep you. It, It hangs on me. The ball is on my court. Let me do my job. I will keep you through this. And now lastly... Third promise that we see in Isaiah 42. When you forget your calling and your purpose, I will strengthen you. I'll remind you what I've called you to. How many of us have gone through really difficult seasons where we get so shaken and so disoriented by it that you find yourself in a place like, oh, maybe everything that I heard from God for my life, is just, yeah, it was just, you know, it was... I don't know, just maybe my thoughts, maybe God's done with me. Like, I don't think there's much else for me to give. And I think he's probably moved on to better people, people who will hold fast to him, people that will make him proud. How often when we go through shakings, we immediately make that connection of like, oh, I'm no, I'm no good anymore. I'm not useful anymore. Oh, I've probably canceled the plans and purposes that he has for me. First of all, you don't have that kind of power. <laughs> As God, right? You don't have the power to cancel his plans for you. But it's in those moments, for example, for Israel, who is about to walk into captivity, God needs to remind them there and then, I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. You feel like you're the victim now. You're the one who's in the dungeon. You're the one who has, has their eyes being blinded. You're the one who's in prison. You feel like, oh man, I am just so far from that calling. I feel like anything but called. I feel like anything but chosen. I feel like there's nothing really good for me to give. And it's in that moment that God reinforces and reiterates his promise over the people in Israel. You don't feel it right now. You don't see it in your current circumstances. But I will make you to be a covenant people. I will make you. You will make you, I will make you, be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. You're not just going to bless yourself and your people. You're going to be a blessing for the nations, for the Gentiles. We are Gentiles, by the way. I don't know if you guys know this. We're Gentiles. Because of the promises of God through Israel, He is a light 
for the Gentiles. And through Israel, he opened up eyes that are blind. He freed captives from prison and released from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So if you feel like you've been trying real hard to believe and real hard to hold on and to be good and to be diligent and to be a good Christian, and you feel like you just keep falling short, and how much longer, and why can I get my act together, and the pressures from all these different things are just going to bring me to that breaking point, here's God's encouragement for you today. He's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you there. He's like, okay, that's broken, cool. Let's move on. (laughs) No, God's promise in his word today, and this is how incredibly merciful and gracious he is. He doesn't just empathize with you. He lifts you higher. He doesn't just leave you in your brokenness. He brings healing into your life. And he takes you higher. He doesn't just leave you in your current state. In compassion, he comes down to where you are. He disarms the powers that are holding you down. And he lifts you higher now into heavenly places. And reminds you that you have a calling. You have a destiny. You have a future, a purpose that is bigger than the momentary afflictions you're going through. Bigger than that. His plans for you are bigger than your shortcomings. When those two things are at odds, one wins. God's plans. One wins. Every time. For the Israelites in captivity, they felt nothing like the chosen ones. They're like, light for the nations. What are you talking about? Light for the Gentiles. We're barely, we're barely there. We're a smoldering wick. Not even close. And it's in this moment that God's promise pierces through that discouragement and hopelessness and fatigue. You were made to be a light to the nations. You need to remember that, especially as you go through the season of captivity. Remember that this is not who you are. This is momentary affliction. This brief and momentary affliction. But that's not your calling. This is not where the story ends. I have a hope and a future for you. How often do we need to be reminded of this in our own lives? When we go through seasons of like blatant failure, we're like, it's not something that was done wrong to me. It's like, I failed. I made that decision. I'm reaping the consequences. And the blame and the, the shame just keeps heaping on and on. And the next logical step is like, well, God had these plans for me, but I, I guess I derailed that. Like, I, I guess that's, that's moot now. Like, oh, God is going to take it and give it to someone else. How often do we disqualify ourselves from something that God hasn't disqualified us for? Because we never qualified to begin with. We never qualified to begin with. That's what grace is. Right? You can't qualify for grace. Grace is a gift. It's like, hey, I'm going to earn that gift. Eugene, I want you to give me a gift. So I'm going to earn that gift. No, then it's not a gift, right? A gift is freely given without merit, right? Now here's the beautiful way that this psalm, uh, this, uh, this passage ends. In verses 8 through 9, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. This is kind of a very convoluted way of saying I'm prophesying something into being and you're going to see this word come to pass. This is spoken by an Old Testament prophet 600 years before Jesus ever stepped into the scene. 600 years of Man, did God forget? Man, what about that promise? Man, what about, you know, this is my servant in whom, you know? What, 600 years of that. And then we see Jesus stepping into the scene as an outworking of that gentleness and that compassion of God for the broken, for the seek, 
seek for the sick, for the demonized, for the oppressed, for the neglected. And Jesus launches into ministry in Matthew 5 with the words, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are grieving. Blessed are those who are down. You know, what good news is this? This is the kind of God that stepped into the scene in Matthew 5. And in Matthew 12, it says that as he was doing his ministry, all these religious leaders were like, what are you doing? You are messing up our whole system and you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And you're, you know, like you're rocking the boat a bit too much. But Jesus had such compassion. He couldn't be like, oh, well, it is Saturday. I can't, I guess I can't heal you. You know, oh, well, it is Saturday. I guess you'll have to wait until Sunday before I can cast this demon out of you. He is so moved by compassion and so moved by gentleness that he chose to say, if any of you, if any of you religious leaders has a sheep and it falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? You would do that for a sheep. Why won't you do that for a sick person? You would do that for something so much less. You would break this, quote unquote, you know, like uh, these, these uh, man-made kind of uh, uh, guardrails that you've set for the Sabbath. You would do that for a sheep, but you wouldn't do that for a sick person who has never experienced a Sabbath, a real Sabbath to begin with. And he is so moved by compassion. He says, you know what? Be healed. You know what? Be restored. Stretch out your hand. And it was then that the Pharisees began to plot to kill him. They're like, all right, that does it. We, we got to take this guy out. You know, he's just messing things up too much. This Jesus, this God was so compassionate, so filled with the father's heart for us, for the broken, for the, for the, the ones who needed him the most. He's overstepping their religious conventions in order to reach for those bruised reeds, in order to reach for those smoldering wicks. And it says then that Jesus went on healing people. This is Matthew 12. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah here is my servant whom I've chosen. The one I love in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He healed this man on the Sabbath out of compassion and the religious leaders set out to kill him. You know the reason why we have such confidence in God even when we go through really rough seasons, it's not because becoming a Christian makes you have like a magical life. Like, wow, I have no pain. Like, wow, I have no struggles. Like, wow, my health is in perfect order. Like, wow, my family is behaving themselves. Like, wow, it's not because of that. That's not the reason why we have confidence in God. It's because... There is a God who became no stranger to pain, no stranger to suffering. He was the one that for you to not be crushed, he himself was crushed. It wasn't this cheap like, oh, you feel like you're about to be broken? Oh, we're all cool. We're all good. Let me help you out. No, it was somebody who said, I'll take that breaking for them. I'll take that crushing for them. That snuffing out of the wick, I'll take that for them. That is the Christian God. That is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who didn't just stand idly by. He was the one who entered into our circumstances, took on the punishment that we rightfully 
deserved. He took it upon himself in order that we might live. That is the beauty of the gospel. A God who was crushed for you, that you yourself would not be crushed. A God who took the final sting of death for you, that you would know eternal life. This is why we as believers can say, look, things might not go my way. Like, hey, things at work and my family and my health and my finances, they might not go my way. But I do not grieve as one who does not have hope. I have a God who's bigger than this situation. I might be bruised. I might be, you know, on the inside feeling so fragile and brittle, but I will not be crushed because I have a God who took it for me. This is the crazy thing about the gentleness of God. It's that it's not a cheap like, okay, here you go. It's someone who paid the cost for that gentleness to be extended to you. Because a costly gentleness, a costly mercy, a costly love cannot ignore the justice, the blood guilt that must be paid. It is there that the cross comes in. This is why the cross is such an incredible centerpiece for the Christian faith. There's no other religion that has a cross in the center of it. Every other religion is like, hey, you better earn it. Hey, you better prove that you are worth going into nirvana or heaven or whatever. You've got to make your way there. There's no other religion that has a cross in the center of it. And it says, you cannot do it. Let's start there. You will not make it to heaven on your own. Let me do that for you. Let me pay the price. Let me live the perfect life. And as you put your trust in me, we'll have an exchange. You give me your punishment. I give you my eternal life. You give me your guilt. I will give you the joy and the freedom. That's the beautiful exchange that happens as we put our trust in the cross. 11 chapters after this passage in Isaiah, we see in greater detail what the Savior is going to look like. In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, by his suffering. We are healed. All we like sheep. All. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter what kind of family background you have. Doesn't matter how many great things you've done in life. Doesn't matter if even you're a Mother Teresa. Outside of Jesus, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the gospel. Isn't that good news? That's amazing news. We don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We're free. That's what freedom looks like. We live in grace now. The Christian walk isn't a triumph story where God saves us and then we live a very clean, easy, neat life. It's a people who've been blood washed a people who cling to God in their moments of weakness. It's not, okay, God, just give me a moment. You know, let let me figure it out first. It's people who are like, oh man, I feel so broken. I need God. Man, I don't have the answers. God, you need to help me. Like, man, I'm falling short in all these things. God, remind me of who I am. That's what the Christian walk is. It's not people who are perfect. It's people who rely on a God who is perfect. 
So if you're listening to this message and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, you haven't given your life to him, you haven't dared to take him at his word, this is my question for you. Can you deal with life's difficulties without a God like that? Can you deal with losing people you love without God's comfort like that? Can you deal with the wear and tear of life and decisions and pressures and all the things that you can't get right without a God who's gentle and compassionate towards you? This is my heart for people, you know, who are either on the fence or are still, you know, kind of wondering whether Christianity is for them. My heart isn't like, come on, just believe, you know? My heart is like, oh man, I feel for you. How can you do this without a God? I can barely keep things together with God. Like, how can you go through these things in life without a savior? I, I definitely can't do it. I don't have what it takes. Maybe you don't need to do it on your own. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's someone who cares for you more than you could ever dare to dream. Maybe there's someone who's willing to take your punishment for you in order that you might have eternal life. That's my heart for people who don't put their trust in Jesus. It isn't this condemnation like, come on, come on, believe, come on, get it together. It's not that. It's like, man, if there's a God who's this good, if there's a God who's this compassionate and gentle and kind, like, why wouldn't you cling to him? How wouldn't this sound like good news? Man, everything in me gravitates to this God. He's a beautiful God. Better than anything I could have made up. This is how I know Christianity is real. No one can have come up with this. It's a God who's far beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine. This is a God that's beyond what we could ever connive, like, uh, conceive in our own minds. A God who's so much better than that. So this is my question for you, you know? Can you go through life without a God who is so gentle and kind with a bruised reed and a smoldering wick? Can you go through life not second-guessing, what am I called to? Like, am I going to make it through? You know, can, like, am I going to hold fast until the end? We don't need to do that because we can put our trust in God. And if you have put your trust in Jesus... But you're still having a hard time. And you're hanging on. You're struggling. You're going through a rough patch. Whatever you want to call it. Let me first say there's no shame in that. Like we need to get rid of this thing, this idea that, oh, Christians don't struggle. Ah, that's a lie. All of us struggle. So if this is you. We got to remove that shame. It's normal. It's called life. Right? There's no shame in that. This is my encouragement to you. Let him hold you. Let him carry you through this. Let him strengthen you as he reminds you that there is a purpose, that there is a plan behind all of this. Whatever it is that you're going through is brief and momentary. In light of eternity with Jesus, this is just a blip. This barely makes it into the radar. Our lives are like vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Is nothing in light of eternity with Christ. This is just a brief and momentary affliction that you're going through. And you know what will make it even more brief? If you invite Jesus into it. <laughs> if you decide to walk with him through it. Let him, let him hold you. Let him keep you. Let him strengthen you as he reminds you that there is a purpose and a plan behind all the pain.
I'm going to invite up the praise team. And I want to close with this thought. This is very short of ideal. We would like our lives to look a lot neater. We would like our faith to look a lot leaner, a lot more linear perhaps. Like I believe in Jesus here and then from then on it's just a straight arrow this way. We would like our lives to play out that way. But this is maybe a thought that you haven't, that hasn't crossed your mind. There's going to be a day when God will wipe away every tear and pain will be no more and death will be no more and night will be no more this brief life that we have right now this this moment and the season where you get to worship him through your struggles through your doubts through your moments of wanting to give up this is the one chance you can worship God as a bruised reed. This is the one chance you can worship God as a smoldering wick. These few brief years that we get here on earth, God gets to receive something that he cannot receive any other time. In all eternity future, he will not get it. This brief time that we get right now is the one chance that God has to receive worship from broken people. Will we not say yes to that? Sometimes, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was almost like envisioning from God's perspective, looking down on earth, seeing maybe a field that is filled with reeds, some of them broken, some of them not. At one time or another, they will be broken. God looking down then hearing the sound as the wind comes through this field, the sound of worship rising up to him. The sound of broken reeds, bruised reeds rising up to him. I also envision this from God's perspective, looking down on earth and seeing the smoke come up from these smoldering wicks like incense rising up to him. Worship from a broken people who still believe that he's worthy. Worship from a broken people that still believe that he's faithful to his promises. That is, that is what it must look like from God's perspective. Will we not give him that gift? Will we not give him that worship that is due to him? He has not held back from us. He has not rationed his love. He has not calculated his love when he poured it out for us. Will we not also with that same heart of generosity and thanksgiving pour out everything that we have to this God through seasons of plenty and seasons of lack, through seasons where we're struggling or seasons of breakthrough? Will we not give him the worship that he deserves? So I want to pray for us today. And I don't want to do it very lightly. I want to pray for us. That especially if there's some of us in this room who are genuinely going through really difficult situations. God doesn't make light of it. He doesn't downplay it. God sees it for what it is. And he asks to be invited in.
So, Father, we say that we look to you today. You're a God who's not rushing us through the process. You're not a God who's impatiently waiting for us to get it together. You're a God who enters into our pain, a God who enters into our brokenness, a God who enters into the midst of it all. You are not intimidated by it. You're not put off by it. You're a God who enters directly into the midst of it. And you remind us of who you are. You remind us of what you've done. You remind us of the plans and purposes that you have for us. Would you remind us of how you see us? Don't let our own thoughts dictate who we think we are. Father, would your voice displace every word of self-condemnation, every word of self-hatred, every pressure that is not from you, every burden that is not from you, that says, I just need to do better. I just need to get it together. God, would you silence those lies in Jesus' name? Would we hear your words of kindness and gentleness spoken over broken people today? Would we hear the gospel afresh? A people who will never measure up to the perfection that your justice demands. That a people who cling to you in mercy and in grace. We thank you, God, that you're not just a God of words. You don't just say things that you don't mean. You're a God who acts on it. And your sacrifice on the cross is the proof for that. If there's ever a time where we feel like we are unworthy, we fix our eyes on the cross. If we ever feel like there's a time where we've disqualified ourselves, we fix our eyes on the cross. If there's ever a time where we feel like, I don't know how long I can do this for, we fix our eyes on the cross. We fix our eyes on you today. God, would you do a deep, transformative work in us? Something that the flesh cannot do, something that even mere human knowledge and understanding cannot do. God, you need to do a deep spiritual work in us to uproot the lies of the enemy and replace that with gospel truth today. We look to you as a savior who has shown us unending gentleness, compassion, patience, kindness, all of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, kind, keeps no record of wrongs, long suffering. You've displayed that for us over and over again. May we believe that this is who you are. We thank you, Father. May we be a people who walk in grace. We thank you for what you are doing today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.